0: Welcome back to the Tes News Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Morris. Every week on this show, we catch you up on the biggest stories in education, breaking down what matters most to schools with the help of our expert journalists. The big story this week is a continuation of last week. It is, of course, Teacher Strikes. Joining me today is Gronja Hallahan to give us a breakdown of things as they stand. And a little bit later, we'll be going over the reaction from school leaders and what advice there is out there to help prepare for these strikes with Matilda Martin. And finally, John Roberts is going to be exploring what Ofsted can do to begin to restore school's trust. All of that coming up, but first let me take a quick break to let you know about the great offer still running on our site for a Tez digital quarterly subscription. If you go to tez.com forward slash store, you can enjoy a three month subscription to our all new digital Tez magazine for just £3. That's uh, £1 a month and it includes all the articles that we talk about on the podcast and more. So please do make sure to go and check that out. So, Gronja, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: Yeah, no problem at all. You're a former teacher, aren't you? Did you ever get involved in any any strikes at all?
1: Yes, so there was, um, I think when I first entered the classroom, that was like back in 2008, 2007, there was like talk about strikes happening. And I remember that was was like when you first, start teaching like which union you're going to join and talking to teachers about what unions they were in and of course like I'm from a family of teachers so when I was little my um my mum was out in strike and, I, I, and uh, sh- I remember she went on a strike that was when Margaret Thatcher was was around and it was the Maggie Thatcher milk snatcher <laughs> chant, and she took my my brother was a like, little baby at the time and she took him on a strike with her but I think I was involved in the teacher strikes, the 2012 ones, 2013. I think I was on maternity leave, actually, when the strike actually took place. So my strike action was more sort of tokenistic than actually in school at, at, on a picket line. But, you know, that was, um, that was a long time ago now.
0: Yeah, well, it's all happening now, really, isn't it? Last week, we left the podcast on a note of uncertainty. I think for a while, we'd felt that strikes were, were going to be a sure thing. And there was kind of an underlying sense of anticipation for what felt like the inevitable. And then there was a spanner thrown into the works. Uh, Nazareth failed to reach the turnout threshold for strike action. And this was followed early this week by the NAHT also failing to reach that threshold. Both are considering rerunning their ballots after concerns that postal strikes impacted the turnout for those. However, as we now know, the NEU did reach that turnout threshold and the vote was... Fairly conclusive as well, with 90% voting for strike action. Uh, I guess the most important thing, and to start, Grunya when will teachers be striking?
1: Okay, so they've announced the strike days, and it's going to be a series of strikes. with The first one on the 1st of February, and that's going to be a national strike for all, all NEU members and um, m- teachers who are not in a union who has chosen not to strike, they can also strike. Um, that starts on the 1st of February. And then we've got the 14th of February, the 15th of March and the 16th of March. Those are all national strikes. And then we've also got some regional specific strikes the so three more strikes that vary, the dates vary depending on which part of the country you're in. So we're talking about a huge number of schools that will be impacted. The NEU say it's 23,400 schools. And, you know, that's not really that surprising given that they've got over one, that one, 120 thousand members that voted yes for strikes so we're expecting those to take part as well as people who are in unions that have voted not to strike there we know that there's there's movement and that there's people joining the NEU and also if you're not in a union union at all you're also allowed to join the strike if you wish to mm,
0: but if you're if you're part of a different union that isn't striking you can't is that right?
1: you can't i mean you you could but you wouldn't have the support of your union you could then be reprimanded and disciplined for for not going to work that day so it's um it's one of those funny areas where if you if you don't belong to a union at all then that's fine but if you do belong to one and they voted not to strike then or haven't got enough people replying in the ballot as is the case with NASUWT they they can't strike
0: so uh, i mean what actually happens on a strike day do you still get paid? What's the, what's the deal there?
1: Oh, you definitely don't get paid. So that's the, the key point. You don't get paid for a strike day. Um, so on that day, you cannot do any work at, at all. So I've, I've seen some interesting discussions, especially among some newer teachers saying, do I have to send in cover work? Like, do I do my marking at home? It's like, no, 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 you don't do anything. You shouldn't be doing any work. You can go and join a picket line or join a, a, a march. If that's being organised, but the best thing to do is check out what your what's going on in your area by talking to your union rep.
0: I'm sure uh, many teachers are also wondering what to happen if they're in school uh, and they have colleagues that are striking as well. They're, obviously, the schools are going to be a little bit understaffed. Are they going to be asked to cover?
1: So, if this if your school is remaining open during the strike you have got striking colleagues and you yourself are not striking, your head teacher can ask you to cover the classes of your striking colleagues, but you cannot be compelled to cover. So that's the the sort of rule. They can ask, but you don't have to say yes. And similarly, if in advance of the strike, your head teacher is asking you if you intend to strike, sure, that's absolutely fine. It's in the guidance they can ask you, but you don't have to tell them. So it's completely up to you whether or not. You want to let them know. there's different arguments like some people say you shouldn't let the school know, because the idea is to cause as much disruption as possible, whereas other people say, you know, it's unfair to let the, the head teacher know and that kind of like, you know, make sure that everyone knows what's happening, that they will share. So there's different, different arguments for and against sharing that information, but that decision is a personal decision that's completely down to you.
2: I think a few um, leaders I've spoken to over the last week have said that they're sending out like anonymous surveys as well um, to to um, all their their teaching staff. So they can kind of get an idea without anyone sort of telling them I'm, I'm not going to be in school specifically. Um, but yeah, I think a few leaders have said that they're not really going to know until they turn up on the day. Um, so it's going to be really hard, I guess, as well, to set parent and pupil expectations, which is going to be another hurdle for, for them.
0: Now, Matilda, I guess school leaders must be wondering what they need to do to prepare. I think you also had a, a great article up uh, uh, working alongside Callum calling school strikes lockdown 2.0. Will that lockdown experience help schools to prepare for missing so many teachers?
2: Yeah, I think it's certainly different to the previous strikes that that Grosje was talking about earlier um in that we have had sense of kind of disruption in schools over the last few years with with the lockdowns i think one of the additions to so the dfp put out some guidance for schools on how to handle the strikes on monday kind of about i'd say 10 minutes after the neo announced their ballot results um and one of the additions there that they've never put in there before was you know the option of schools can consider um supplying remote learning uh, for for pupils um, they say like consider so you don't have to you know no no school has to provide remote learning they won't be breaking any rules if they if they don't um and obviously some some schools have lessons that they have pre-recorded from the pandemic um you know i guess oak is also an option there um but the problem is that If you don't have pre-recorded lessons, then you can't be exactly asking teachers who may be striking to prepare them before and pre-record them. And you can't, you know, it's it's a difficulty of of asking other teachers to cover and and do the live lessons. So I think it is opening up a whole other can of worms. Um, So I think, yeah, not really sure what they're going to be doing yet. Um, So, yeah.
0: Is there any uh, guidance available for school leaders coming up to these strikes?
2: Yeah, so obviously there's the DFE guidance that I, I just mentioned. And then last night, the NEHT, so the uh, school leaders union, did put out their own guidance and advice for leaders um, that they've kind of thought through in terms of, of legal advice as well. Um, so we, we had had sight of this and we did a little, you can see a, a summary of of the advice on, on our website. Um, I think the main thing to, to come out of it that the NEHT is telling members is that, you know, you've got to respect, you know, the actions of of sister unions like you that have voted for, for strike action, but also balance um, that with, you know, the responsibilities and the legal duties that you have as a senior leader. Um, and I think that's something that some leaders are are concerned about they want to show solidarity with you know teaching staff that are striking it's a lot of told us that they have a lot of sympathy with them but they've also as well they've got that responsibility to the pupils um and one of the things that the NEHT has actually come out you know quite strongly against that within the DfE guidance on Monday is the use of volunteers to plug the staffing gaps during strike days. So the DFE actually, you know, suggested that schools could use volunteers. Um, but the NEHT guidance said, you know, it had concerns about the use of volunteers. You know, the, there's a whole thing, host of things that come with it. So we've got, you know, issues of confidentiality, first aid training, um, you know, knowledge evacuation procedures if there's a fire, for example, behavior management. So it's it's not just a case of, you know, oh, we can just bring in some, you know, volunteers. And also, I know that the government recently changed the law around, you know, using agency workers as well, so you could get supply staff in. But again, you know, as we've been reporting over the last couple of years, there are shortages of supply staff. You know, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Um one leader I was speaking to last week actually said that they've been quoted three hundred pounds for one supply staff member for for a day, um which is pretty <laughs> pretty high um and also in the in-send settings as well they're saying in, in special schools they're saying that you know the children there have have a routine and they're concerned that you know staff members coming from supply agencies wouldn't be able to fulfill their needs so yeah there's there's a lot of um lot of concerns around DfE guidance but a few other things from ht um just talking about picket lines as well so you know, employers can refuse permission um, for picket lines to be on or inside any part of the school or trust property. Um, but yeah, ch- check out our story. It kind of talks about what, what you should be doing and and how you can kind of make sure that you toe the line, but also show that you support your, your, your teaching staff if that's how you feel.
3: Yeah, I think that article really shows how kind of school leaders are almost being pulled in two or three different directions at the moment because they kind of have a, a duty of care and a responsibility for the pupils in their school, They're probably a great deal of them will feel sympathy and solidarity with the colleagues over pay. You know, almost all the unions have been doing, doing similar things or asking similar questions of their members. And then you've got the government with messaging that seems to sound a bit familiar to their messaging in the pandemic, which is keep the school open at all costs or as, as best you can, do everything you can to keep the school open. So it's sort of... Um, you can see where they've kind of got competing, not agendas, but competing priorities that they're having to balance when making decisions in their weeks ahead.
2: Definitely. And like going on from what, what John was just saying, I've I've had a few leaders over the last week say that they think the government's kind of setting unrealistic expectations for what strike days are going to look like. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a concern um, and there are a lot of cases just going to have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, there's an element there, isn't there, for both uh, leaders and supply teachers that they actually they actually want to support these strikes and it kind of defeats the purpose almost, doesn't it? To to cover that disruption completely.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think the um we spoke to Supply Teaching Network and yeah, they said you know majority of their members probably wouldn't take jobs um supply jobs on on strike days to show solidarity. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, speaking of uh, school leaders. John. Uh, the last story we're going to be covering today is, um, it's about school leaders and Ofsted. And Ofsted has got a lot of work to do to restore some trust for school leaders, hasn't it?
3: That's the, um, that's the message we're, we're, we're picking up more and more, I think. And we've got, as you say, um, two stories today that come from the Association of School and College Leaders. Um, they published a report with a series of recommendations for improving inspection, both immediate changes and some longer term ones. And then I was speaking to Jeff Barton, Um, the union's general secretary and a couple of the senior people in the union. And they spoke quite strongly about their sense that um, trust in the sector for Ofsted has diminished. And um, Jeff Barton said that with Ofsted building up towards getting a new chief inspector at the start of next year, uh, a job of that chief inspector will be to restore trust in the profession. Now, the concerns basically... um, around the um, the Ofsted inspection framework, which they launched in 2019, but because of the COVID pandemic, which still feels like a relatively new setup. So the last academic year just gone was the first year where schools have seen in a full year of those inspections. And I guess more and more of the sector is starting to experience um, that inspection activity and and, and the judgments that Ofsted makes. Um, There's two really big areas of concern about whether or not the framework is subjective or unfair. One is around the way Ofsted looks at subjects. Um, so there's, a, as, as I've said loads of times on, on, on here, the, the framework now is really curriculum and subject focused, but ASCAL raised real concerns about how reliable that process is, particularly if you've got Ofsted inspectors who aren't subject experts in the area that they're launching into a deep dive in. And then the second one is around safeguarding, uh, which is really interesting. So there was, um, Ofsted was tasked with doing a, a review into sexual abuse and harassment, uh, a couple of years ago, and was I think his work was wi- widely welcomed. But school leaders have got um, a concern that since then the inspector's approach to safeguarding has has changed, and they're concerned that when when they're looking at safeguarding issues, um, they speak to pupils, and sometimes there's a concern that some a, a, a comment that people might make about bullying, say, gets a kind of a disproportionate focus in the inspection. And the, the phrase they used was that they think that the, the way they're looking at safeguarding by kind of um, amplifying pupil voice is um, bending inspection out of kilter. Now, Ofsted didn't respond to that, but, um, but it's an interesting thing because obviously um, the, 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 there was a big concern two years ago around harassment in schools. And I think Ofsted's focus was, was, was broadly welcomed. But there is a sense that the knock-on effect has been that the way it inve- investigates safeguarding in schools um, is, is unfair or inaccurate at times.
0: Well, it seems fairly obvious to me that if you're if you're waiting a pupil interview there's a very good chance you've just you've just found a one pupil who's who's had more issue with that than anybody else
3: yeah I think the the real concern is about where, how, how how and to what extent Ofsted can accurately. I think the, the phrase that inspectors use is like triangulate that evidence how you can kind of find other evidence that supports it um, what Askell have said is that they don't think that this kind of line of inquiry is an appropriate way to look at safeguarding, and they've suggested taking safeguarding outside of Ofsted remit altogether, and instead having a separate organisation giving schools an annual safeguarding audit. That's one of a, a number of recommendations um, that they made. A couple of the other more immediate changes that they want to see that I think will probably resonate with a lot of people, and obviously been debated for forever and ever, is they're calling for Ofsted inspection grades to be dropped. So in the short term, they want um, the four inspection the overall inspection judgments dropped. Um and in the longer term, there's so in an offset inspection report, they give a school an overall judgment and then they give four distinct judgments for areas of the framework as well. In the longer term, Haskell suggests getting rid of those graded judgments as well and instead kind of producing narrative findings. Um obviously that would be a major appeal for a lot of people in schools. I think Jeff Barton described graded judgments as too blunt a tool to be able to describe a school. Um but obviously the complication is that these judgments are not just for the community. They also have consequences for the school and for the government So, the government uses Ofsted judgments at the moment as it's kind of a lever for intervention in schools. So if you're found to be inadequate, that's a trigger for an academy order. And now they've extended their powers. So now if schools get two less than good judgments in a row, so two require improvements in a row, the government can intervene then. Now, if you did away with all of that, um, and there's definitely a very strong case for it, I think. Um, it would mean that there need to be a rethink about the accountability system. Um, but I think that's part of the problem in a way, I think, for a lot of people in schools, is it's not just how Ofsted judges and the judgments it makes, it's what the government does with those judgments that make it such a kind of a high stakes process and such a stressful process.
2: I do think it's a really interesting time for for Askell to be putting this out as well, because obviously we're we're kind of waiting to see what what Labour do with their manifesto in terms of education, and be interesting to see where they go with Ofsted. Um,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, so Labour have said uh, Labour have kind of committed to reforming Ofsted, but there isn't really yeah a kind of a second sentence to that to that reform. Yeah, we've kind of probed that a couple of times with them, um, but they have talked about making inspection less high stakes and more supportive. Um, but as you say, you've got like the, potentially a general election, well, definitely at least two years away, but maybe less depending on what more chaos awaits, um, but also the, the um, chief inspector, Amanda Spielman. So her term was due to end um, in 2021, but they extended it because of COVID. So essentially they launched their new inspection framework, their new inspections rather in September of 2019. And then obviously COVID hit in the second term. So they'd never really bedded in. Um and they attempted to resume, well, they have resumed them. And Ofsted have said that they think that framework's still the right one. I think another big concern is to what extent has COVID kind of turned the school landscape upside down? And should Ofsted's priorities have shifted at all? And should, should, should they be inspecting with, with the same set of rules now that they, that they designed in September 2019? Um, but yeah, I think what's come out in the last week or so, I think, is a real strong sense of disillusionment among some in the sector. Um, because ASCAL, I would say traditionally Askel haven't been the most critical union of of Ofsted over the years. And I think they were broadly supportive of the framework when it was introduced. So the framework basically was a rebalancing, giving less emphasis to exam results and more of a focus on curriculum and what Amanda Spielman called the substance of education. And I think as a kind of a step change that was welcomed as a principle. But I think what they're saying is that in practice, they don't think the judgments are affair and that there's too much there's scope for too much subjectivity in in, in the way inspectors judge schools.
0: Do we do we expect then uh, when Am- Amanda Spielman leaves and the next officer chief comes in, do we expect that to be a big inflection point where something is going to change here for, for officer?
3: It's definitely an opportunity for for that to happen. I think it will depend in large part as to who gets it and to what extent they are kind of um, sympathetic to to the direction and Ofsted have gone in. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think each chief inspector will bring with them a kind of a new priority, a new focus, and quite often a new framework. I think there was three in the last decade um, with Sir Michael Wilshaw, um, uh, Amanda Spielman's predecessor, wanting to put his stamp on the way that Ofsted inspects. I think that I've covered Ofsted, the contestants I've been here, and obviously we're bound to hear about teacher and head teacher dissatisfaction more than someone phoning up to say they thought everything went well. Um, but I think um, probably the pandemic, on the one hand, added pressure on Ofsted because there was a sense that Ofsted wanted to get back to normal and a lot of schools didn't want them to. But also, I think it bought them some time in as much as the sector probably didn't form any really firm opinions about what the framework was looking like, what his inspections were like because we had this kind of 18-month hiatus. I think in the last few weeks, you're starting to see, like, Askell and the CST pulling together what their members have thought of the first year or so, and it's not good. Do you know, that it's really... Um, on Middlehurst who's there, Askell's inspection specialist was saying that they thought he wasn't working for most schools, and there was kind of a... a a view that the the, the framework wasn't working. Now, I'm sure Ofsted would point to their kind of satisfaction surveys that would show a very different picture, that would show majority people happy with individual inspection. But I think it's quite striking that after a year of, a full year of these inspections, our school are basically calling for a wholesale change to the way inspection is
0: done. Mm, Yeah, well, it looks like we're at the precipice of quite a few changes here in the world of education, especially if those strikes result in, in the change that they're demanding. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, you can check out all of the stories that we discussed today on our website, tez.com forward slash magazine, where you can also find that subscription deal I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Everyone, thank you for joining me again today on the podcast and thank you at home for listening.